Hello everyone, this is Guy Windsor, also known as The Sword Guy, and I'm here today with the inestimable Jessica Finley, who may be known to you from her wonderful book about medieval wrestling. Those of you who are enrolled on my solo training course may have sweated and grunted through her um, solo training for, uh, for wrestlers section of the course. And if you know her on her Patreon account, um, she produces translations, interpretations, uh, previews of books in progress, and videos also for her, her patrons. And you can find her there at patreon.com slash Jess Finley, J-E-S-S-F-I-N-L-E-Y. So without further ado, welcome Jess. Hi guy. <laughs> so uh, just to sort of orient everyone, where are you at the moment? Uh, so right now my family and I live in Lawrence, Kansas in the United States. Um, so if you were to glance at a map of the United States, we're basically right dead center. Excellent. Okay, and I assume you're, you're locked down with this coronavirus nonsense? We are. Um, in fact, our, our lockdown began earlier than most people's um, because we got a run of what we believe to have been the flu um, mm -hmm. starting February 3rd. Um, and in fact, my son got so sick, he got full-blown pneumonia and it was, it was awful. Oh my God. And so we weren't going anywhere because we didn't want to give anyone this flu. And it one by one went through our family. And about the time we got healed up, the actual lockdown started. So oh my God. It's, it's been since early February that we've been more or less um, social distancing as, as everyone's sure. doing. Uh, you know, going out for provisions and then coming right back home. Mm -hmm. um, our state is doing quite well as far as as far as these things go. Um, our numbers in our county have stayed very low um, and uh, are continuing to go down. Uh, so I've slowly started to open up um, to doing private lessons one on one with masks and masks, right? right <laughs> Double yeah. mask. And uh, and so in that way, uh, just longsword, nothing else, um, so we can stay at a distance. But starting to get some physical work with other people, which is lovely. It must be a relief. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so, well, speaking of longswords, as you brought them up, um, what made you want to start historical martial arts, and how did you actually get started? Oh, uh, well... So I got into swords because swords are really cool. And Agreed. I was, you know, young and into fantasy novels and D&D &D and like the whole rigmarole. And uh, my my boyfriend at the time, he uh, he was working with some people that were starting up uh, like performance troupe to go around and fight with swords on stages at Renaissance festivals in, in the okay. Midwest. And so he got invited to come out to their thing. And I was like, oh, no, I'm coming, too. Like, that's all there is to that. And, yeah. and he, he was quite, you know, put off, like, you can't just invite yourself to someone else's event. And I was like, I think I can. <laughs> I think I can show up to this. So anyway, so, uh, so that's how I got my start um, in 98, um, swinging swords in backyards. And, and we kind of had this weird homegrown system that was somewhere between sparring and performing, um, mm -hmm. but was really neither. And, <laughs> you know, just kind of that weird, unique place that happened, uh, I think rather frequently in the 90s, right? I mean, everybody yeah. was just trying to do what they could do. Um, yeah. But uh, eventually I, I got hooked up with, um, oh God, it was NetSword back then. Um, yeah. But uh, so started speaking with, you know, Greg Mealy and Rob Lovett. I remember particularly off that site. Um, and then John Epler down in Tulsa was hosting an event. Um, he's associated with the Tattershall School, if, if that name means anything. But anyways, mm -hmm. he was hosting an event. Of course. Uh, yeah, he was hosting an event down in Tulsa. And... Uh, so my husband and I and our, our friend Benaya Anderson all signed up and drove 
four and a half hours to do a weekend, which turned out to be with Christian Tobler. Um, That's a very good start. Yeah, super good start. So so we did that weekend, and then nine months later did a weekend with Bob Sharon. So Mm -hmm. we had introduction to both Lishenauer and Fiore, uh, and I was just completely sold. And so I emailed both Christian Tobler and, and Bob and said, hey, you know, I took these weekends with you and I really want to do this and I'm in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, and there's nobody here. Um, would you take me on as an online student and let's just see what happens? And uh, Christian replied and Bob didn't. So I studied. <laughs> Damn it. I you could have been the- a Fiorian all this time. We could have had you for the, for the Italians all this time. And instead you went over to the dark side. It's oh, true. That's Jeff. that's the way. But you know, because people. Next ask time I see like, Bob, I'll slap him. <laughs> <laughs> um, that would be a mistake because he'll pick me up and break me in half. But right, um, right, yeah, yeah. But that's but, you know okay. that's people ask me like, how did you end up you know choosing German over Italian? And I didn't. Mm-hmm. It chose me. Right, right. So yeah, fair. Yeah. So okay. that's how I got into this, and so um, from there, you know, like I, I just. I don't know. I I have a I have a very strong, uh, I guess, American pioneering spirit, and so I feel mm-hmm. like if I want to do a thing, if I put enough work at it, it'll I'll, I can do it. You know. Yeah. Uh, sure. So I just started, um, actually going to my gym, uh, and there was a there was a kung fu class there, and so I would wait mm-hmm. till the kung fu cl- class wrapped up. And then I would go in with my wasters and solo practice. And the, uh, the teacher took notice. Um, and so after a few weeks of me regularly doing that, because I decided I needed to set myself a regular, a regular yep. study schedule. So I was showing up every time after, after Kung Fu and working solo. So anyways, the teacher notices. And, uh, and one day he sticks around and he says, can I, can I just watch what you're doing? Can you tell me about it? And I was like, okay, sure, I'll tell you about it. Um, and the very next week, as I'm sitting there waiting for Kung Fu class to wrap up, he uh, calls me out, introduces me to his class, and says, and you're all going to stay and take a lesson from her. And then he walks oh, wow. out. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, all right, you know, I've been to a yeah. whole two weekend seminars and some solo nice training. Fully qualified. Totally qualified for this role with all of these people who've been, you know, studying yeah. martial arts for however long. So, uh, so that's how I taught my first class, and uh, <laughs> right off the cuff. And uh, as it turned out, three of those guys stuck around and just started training with me. Wow. Um, they thought it was cool and and wanted to support me, and and the, so the class I had a been school. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, uh, as far as being a formal student in these things, at least in the, in the physical realm, I've only, mm-hmm. you know, gotten to do it at seminars. Um, right. I've always been in the position of, of presenter. So, well, right. we'll come back to that in one of your later questions, because I, you know, <laughs> so I said, there you go. There's a little, there's a little Hansel okay. and Gretel trail for, for future okay. in the interview. All right. Stick around and we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. Okay. Um, so what are your main research interests? I know you're mostly sort of, you're known for your wrestling, um, but I know that's not all that you do. So what, what is currently, um, your research jam? Yeah. So, well, you can mention the trees. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Well, okay. So I have so many things (laughs) (laughs) that I research, um, because uh, I don't know why. I don't know why. Why would I say because? Huh. I d- so my method is that I, I just follow interests wherever they lead. And they take me to really weird places sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can start with the trees. Um, okay. And so this is born out of, um, in, in what we call the Von Dens- Von Danzig Fecht book, um, there are a set of diagrams and 
I didn't know what they were at first. Um, the The text itself refers to them as figures, and it mm-hmm. says that there are twenty six figures of uh, horse combat of Rosvechten, and right. so I just really wanted to understand how the hell do these things work, right? Because this seems like that particular fight book has uh, four, well, five, five pages of illustration. It, a drawing of Master Lishenauer himself. That makes mm-hmm. sense why that's important. Um, two pages that show the four guards. Okay, that mm-hmm. also makes sense. And then these two, right? That's it. That's the only drawings they bothered to make. Um, right. So, um, so I just kind of like hammered at it until I found my way to... Um, modern medieval academics who study the way medieval figures work. Um, And there's all different forms of figures um, and trees are one of them. And these trees, when we look at them, don't really look like trees. It just looks like uh, parallel lines of of circles with writing in them, right? Um, But like a family tree. uh, Kind of, kind of. Um, But they, they get red not necessarily like a family tree. Like a family tree has, once you start going down one branch, you don't really go back to the other side, right? Sure. Um, so there's, there's a, I don't know, a logical um, trail that you'll go down. Um, or, you know, if you think of like if-then statements, right? You know, yep. you go this way or that way, and, and there's no mm-hmm. going back, you know, to the other side. Um, Whereas medieval diagrams, while they could do that, they didn't always do that. And so often the more important piece uh, of information you're, you're gaining out of them is not just uh, that I have a maternal grandmother and this is her name, but that my maternal grandmother and my paternal grandmother are both grandmothers. And what is their uh, relationship to each other? Right through me, right? And so it leads to a different kind of analysis of the information than, than just um, decision trees. Right. Uh, so uh, I ended up just, you know, again, like hammering at this diagram, then once I found, you know, academic journals on trees, such things exist, mm-hmm. um, and what they mean and how to read them and a lot of extant examples and as far as I know, no academics in this field have studied this particular tree. Um, right. But I've come to understand how it works, how it ties back in with Lichtenauer's Zettel, and then how that gives a whole nother way to look um, to look at the system, like another way to implant it in your mind and then recall it. It's a kind of mind map then. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and, and often these figures were for that literal purpose of, of helping someone trying to memorize ridiculous amounts of information um, in such a way that they can easily recall it. Okay. All right. And so what, what is the information? So, so you're, is this related to the longsword material or is this something else? Well, so it's, I mean, the, the extant tree we have uh, mm-hmm. Is specifically related to the Rosvechten. Um, so Define it is. Define Rosvechten for those who might not know. Oh, sorry. So, so fighting on horseback um, okay. is what that means. And so that could be with an assortment of weapons. Um, but it does apply to the longsword on horse um, with that particular extant tree. But what I have done then is then go back to uh, Lichtenauer's longsword on foot outside of armor and gone well he gave us a number of um hopstucker like chief techniques like yep specific um we wouldn't even call them techniques really we'd call them tactics but these ideas that that we're supposed to keep uh in our mind and understand and that to build the fight around them and going okay such as uh, like um the five strikes of Zornhaus Virchow, okay. right? Each one of those is one. Mm-hmm. But then likewise, the idea of um, 
a guard, like all of the guards, is one idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's why I say not really technique, because sure. grouping all the guards together to understand what what is a guard and what does a guard do is a different sort of level of understanding, right? Sure. Um, and so then from there, I was like, okay, well, we have he named out these things in a specific order. Can I build a tree out of that in that order, use the same sort of analysis, and does that produce something useful for me? And the answer is yes. It. I bet. It gratefully, you know, very much helps me. Now, did Lee Schenauer intend that? There is no way I can prove that, <laughs> right? No, but you're, you're using a medieval approach to organize and understand medieval information. So Correct. I think, it's, it, put it this way, it's, it's certainly not inappropriate. Right, right. Um, and ultimately, like, you can say, like, it, it's, like, often with research, you end up running into the situation of needing to answer, so what? Right? Like, yep. you think that's cool, sure. but who cares? Um, but in this case, I think it leads to a, a deeper understanding of the material in a way that you can, again, easily memorize it um, and easily sure. recall it, but then understand relationships between this list of techniques that goes beyond a list of techniques. Right, yes, they're all interconnected. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in very specific ways, um, some things are obvious. Uh, you have guards and you have the strikes that counter those guards, right? Um, that's, right. that's an opposition that, that the text tells us and that we all innately yeah. get. Yeah, um, if I recall rightly, Krumpau breaks ox. That is true. So says I'm the not man. a German person at all. So said, yeah. But I, I have I have read a bunch of Christians' books, so you know I'm not, not completely uneducated. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, that's a that's a perfect example of it. Krumpau breaks socks, um, mm -hmm. and okay, cool. Um, but then there are more um, oh more intellectual. Uh, Hopstuka, for instance, Nakareisen, which is chasing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and a physical example of that is if if you were in some sort of point forward guard or point forward position um, mm -hmm. and you retract your point, you are offering an opportunity for your opponent to chase, right? And right. attack you, right? Um, so that that can apply to a myriad of, you know, specific technical situations sure. in a fight. Um, and it gets paired, the way I see it, it gets paired with Überlaufen, which is overrunning, um, which is the, the basic idea that a high attack breaks a low attack. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that gets utilized really strongly in the, in the German system. So those two, those two, go together um, in the sense that we're told if you use those ideas together, chasing to a higher line than your opponent is in, in the beginning of the fight, you'll have a much greater chance of success than if you do anything else. Interesting. Okay. Right? Um, of course, my head is buzzing with fury parallels. That's, I mean, that's a different yeah, interview, yeah, yeah. but we could like geek out sure. real hard on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think I think given given the probable nature of the audience, I think a little geekery is perfectly okay. In fact, they probably tuned in hoping that we'd get deep into the weeds. Right, right. So, so yeah, so that's so so that pairing is less obvious mm -hmm. um, than a counter. Um, but that's that's a pairing of, of things that you're supposed to use together, right? Right. Um, so you kind of have three generalized ways you can group ideas together, um, or that medieval people tended to group ideas together, which mm -hmm. is that you can have opposites, you can have um, similarities or, or things mm -hmm. that go together, or you can have logical progressions. And that's okay. another way you can group things. Though, again, like we don't tend to group that 
Though I, I don't know. You could have a parent and child relationship, and we would say they go together as a pair, a parent and child. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that, those are kind of the ways you can, you know, put these together and look at them. And once you put it into a, a physical diagram of the tree, um, then you can start, you can start making pairs again. It's hard to visualize on a, on a podcast, but if you have these, um, rows and columns of ideas, mm -hmm. you can analyze them across the row or analyze them across the column. Oh, and can I just say, it's perfectly okay to send me a picture that I can put in the show notes and then people can see what you're talking about. Oh, like awesome. To I'll totally do that. Yeah. I'll totally okay. do that. Look at the show yes, notes, that, guys. I, I'm, 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 getting, I'm getting quite a lot of information from your hand gestures, but no one else is seeing those. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have my makeup on, so no one is watching this video. <laughs> so yeah, okay. rows and columns of ideas. I think that's the easiest way. You know, it could be on a spreadsheet. Okay. Like that's just as just as viable as, mm -hmm. as a medieval tree, at least for these purposes. Okay. Um, so, so you, yeah. the original tree is around Rosfecton. So mm -hmm. I understand you've taken up horse riding lately to get I into Rosfecton. Tell I us about It is the best. It is so great. Mm -hmm. So number one, it's great because um, I can go to my barn and say hi to my trainer who's on the other side of the barn and get a horse and get on my horse and start practicing. And she stays on the other side of the barn. And so I have an opportunity to uh, at least be in a space with a human. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Right now? Yeah. Um, who's outside my family. And uh, then, and also just getting me outside and learning and engaging in that way. Um, and so, yeah, so I mentioned that, you know, I, I haven't gotten to be much of a, much of a student uh, for medieval martial arts as far as in person. So, mm -hmm. so this has been amazing because I know literally nothing. Um, and I'm not expected to, I'm it's just the best position to be in. It is so like, good. <laughs> it's also, you show something as a complete beginner and no one has any expectations and you can just absorb the stuff super fast cause it's all new and yeah, it's yeah, it's it's the absolute best position to be in is to is to be the person in the room who knows the least. Yeah. Unless you're playing poker. Unless you're playing poker, that's different. Fair, fair. That okay, is the but, exception to the rule. <laughs> so, is is your goal with the riding to um, have a go at mounted combat? Yeah, yeah. Eventually. Um, I've had the opportunity um, a couple of times when I've been up in Vancouver. Um, visiting Academy Duello and and right. then their associated stables uh, Jen. that Jen Landells runs. Yeah, um, yeah. I've I've I fought Jen Landells on horseback with plastic swords, and she she completely sliced me to pieces because her horse oh, yeah. did exactly what what she told her, and my horse was like, "Who is this dumbass sitting on my back who clearly doesn't give me clear instructions?" So I'm just going to plod around in a circle. <laughs> 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 Yeah, that's more or less my experience as well. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I absolutely loved uh, getting to train with her, and and always knew that. Uh, I mean, you know, I was I was a the kind of young girl that was obsessed with horses as a small child, but never had the opportunity okay. to. All right. Ride them or okay. do anything. Yeah, I was totally that little girl. But um, how much? How much of being an adult is finally? You could do all the stuff that your parents wouldn't let you do or couldn't arrange for you when you were a kid. It's like my kid, my parents were taking large blades off me since I could walk pretty much. And look, <laughs> well, look what happened. Right? Now, to it's be fair, they were right to do so because, because I, you know, I was a kid and big sharp knives, maybe not best things for kids to play with unsupervised, but yeah. Now, now I can just you know, have whatever blades I like. It's fantastic. It's, being a grown up is awesome. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been really wonderful to to get out there to just be a student. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I would love to uh, eventually be able to uh, control a horse well enough mm -hmm. to do the stuff I've practiced, you know, um, from yep. that section of the book. Right? right. I mean, I've practiced it on foot to, to understand it and I understand the system and I have a idea of how I think it should work. Uh, 
but if you can't make a, a horse be your feet naturally, then you have no shot at, at doing yes. that thing. Um, you know, and I, I found it rather funny that one of the first lessons, you know, she got me up on Starbuck is his name. The horse I'm oh, using right now. That's a good name for a horse. He's, a he's great so great. Um, he is completely the horse she puts six years six year olds on. So <laughs> right? let's be very clear about the situation. But but also let's let's be let's be quite clear. Some of those six year olds are probably pretty good riders already. <laughs> right, they could be. At least compared to us. Right, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so she put me up on him, and uh, would have me get him walking, stop him, and then she'd say, "Where are his feet?" Oh. Now I can't see. So no, you have to feel it. she immediately had me feeling which foot is where and how do you tell? Right. Because yeah. um, if you can't tell where his feet are, then you can't help him to get where you need him to be. Right. Yeah. You, you can't give the right commands because you might give an impossible command. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. So, um, but I'm just, you know, I come out of every single one of those lessons and I come home and I have to take a nap. And it's not because my, <laughs> I'm dead serious. And it's not because my I physical body is wrecked. It's because my brain is going so hard for that hour and yeah. a half that yeah. by the time I get home, I'm like, I have built too many neurons. I must eat yeah. and sleep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that sounds like an hour and a half extremely well spent. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Um, now there was something I wanted to ask you about, which was, what are your thoughts on protective equipment in training? Cause you know, obviously on, on horseback, I assume you're wearing a helmet. Oh yeah. And you mentioned that when you're doing your, uh, individual lessons with long swords, you're at the moment wearing a sort of surgical face mask underneath a regular fencing mask or yep. some kind of fencing mask. Yep. Um, and it seems that everyone has an opinion about about training equipment, and I'm sure people would be very interested to know what yours is. Um, at least right now, I mm -hmm. am a big fan of, of training at a level that doesn't require much more than just a fencing mask. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I mean, this is a thing that comes and goes. Um, sure. I think what I find is that a lot of protective equipment gets so much in the way mm -hmm. of what I'm trying to feel. If I'm spending however much of my attention being irritated that my arms don't lift up quite as high as I need them to go or that... Mm -hmm my gloves are too big for my hands to be where I want them on my sword or whatever, right? Yeah. That learning becomes incredibly difficult if mm -hmm. my attention is on those things. Um, now, of course, if you're going to spar, fucking gear up. Like, don't be a dumbass, right? <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, Jess. Jessica Finney says, fucking gear up, don't be a dumbass. Yes. <laughs> that, that should be the strap line for the whole podcast series. Right? <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, but for most drilling mm -hmm. to a reasonable level of cooperativeness, um, yep. if you're going hard enough, you need to put more stuff on, you're maybe going too hard to do as many reps as you need to do. Okay. Interesting. In my mind. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I, I have never much liked the protective equipment and most of my training is done without any or with just a mask or maybe a mask and a pair of gauntlets if yep. we're going for hand hits for example yep um and you know i seem to be doing okay and so do you so yeah um uh, but you would let's be fair though you and i yeah. run a pretty fucking tight ship that is also true right um and my, maybe this is a later question, I don't remember, but like the very few regrets I have in this mm -hmm. pursuit 
as when I have seen something and thought, that's not okay. Well, they're adults. And literally ah. 30 seconds later, somebody gets fucking hurt. Right? And, right. And, uh, you know, that happened not too long ago. A couple of people were, before the, before the corona, a couple of mm -hmm. people were sparring at my club. Um, mm -hmm. And they're both years and years in and know what they were yep. doing. And yep. they were relatively low gear. And I saw mm -hmm. it ramp up to a level that I thought, hmm, yeah. that's beyond the gear they're wearing. Yeah. I should call them down. And then I thought, ah. And right then, somebody ate a gigantic thrust to the face that, you Ouch. know, you know, led to a concussion. And I feel personally responsible for that because I saw well, what if, was happening. If it's, your, if it's your school. It's my school, it's my fucking well, fault. Well, yeah. well, whether it's your fault or not, it's certainly your responsibility. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I feel the same about you know anything occurring in in any class that I'm teaching or any school that belongs to my sort of umbrella. Um, now, I seem to recall you used to make protective equipment, gamsons and things. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I used Is to. Is that make, the only uh, way to get a good one? Yeah. 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 You can't. I mean, you can't. You can't listen, be tailor made, right? That's just it, guy. Like, if you said, Jess, can I go get a really nice suit at my local department store? I'd be like, well, I mean, define nice, but not great, you know? I mean, <laughs> yep. this is true, right? If you mm -hmm. want, um, if you want it to fit you like a glove, you have to just have it personally made. I, I don't yep. see any way around that. Yeah, unless you happen to have the exact body shape that they happen to be built for in exactly that size. Yeah, and some I'm people sure are that least... lucky. Yeah. Um, so, so what's the main difference then between a custom-built Gamson, for instance, and one off the shelf? Uh, there's a ton of like geeky um, tailoring differences. That's okay. Um, we can we can go geeky. Okay. So what I would say, the biggest thing is, is mm -hmm. um, modern, almost all modern tailoring is built off of the idea of a shoulder seam that sits on the point of your shoulder or even slightly outside of it, which has right. to do with our aesthetics of what looks attractive, um, mm -hmm. particularly in, in menswear. Um, that, you know, you have a nice square shoulder out here, like you might see in a suit. Um, mm -hmm. Likewise, uh, in a suit, it's very attractive for the arm to hang straight down, <laughs> more or less, right? right? Yep. And so it gets tailored so that hanging straight down, it looks, uh, creates a strong, attractive look for what we're after. Um, and most most modern tailors have forgotten how to tailor otherwise. Um, so what that leads to is the situation we have all experienced of not being able to very effectively lift our arms um, right. in protective gear or that when you do, the entire garment rises up. Um, yep. And... You know, and that's just on a that's just on a base level for everyone, and and so often what you'll see is is that um, people doing modern commercial uh, gambesons or whatever will create seam lines that reference the medieval cut without doing the medieval cut. Ah, okay. Does that make sense? It does. Um, um, it's kind of skeuomorphism. Oh, I don't know what you mean. Uh, skeuomorphism is when uh, some modern thing has elements of a an older thing to make it look right. Yeah. Like for example, a, like a, a notes app on a phone that looks like paper and uses right. a kind of handwriting like font when it's actually an app on a phone. That's an yeah. example of skeuomorphism. So okay. we're seeing that. So we're seeing that in in modern gear construction. Exactly. 
Um, okay. Because often there's a lack of understanding of, of the function. Um, right. That's just step one. Of course, further steps go into the fact that um, most of us practicing this art don't have a, a medieval fashionable body, right? <laughs> okay. Well, so what is a medieval fashionable body? Tell me. Uh, for, uh, for a young man, it's literally... Um, I, if you were to, oh, I could, how to describe, and of course this changes over time, but largely, mm -hmm. um, in the periods of time we're interested in, they very much liked, um, a very, very small waist on a man. Right. Um, and that waist being above the hips. Right. Yes. And even right then. Right, that gets us into problems because we don't wear our clothes that way, and oh, clothes God, this make your nuts. body. Right. Jess, like, ask my wife; she'll tell you this drives me absolutely insane. Trousers these days, for the last twenty years, have been cut to hang from the hip, and it's wrong on every level. Trousers should hang from the waist so your hips can move. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, you just can't buy decent trousers these days. So I have to buy trousers that are so big that I can haul them up past my hips where they're supposed to go and then cinch them around my waist with a belt so that I can actually move my legs. Yep. I'd, I'd, yeah, because I can't afford to go to a decent tailor and have all my trousers tailor-made. That's fair. So yes, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm entirely with you on the, on the waist above the hip thing. Right, and so like what we forget about is is or maybe don't even realize, um, mm -hmm. is how much our bodies respond to the pressures under which our bodies are put. And that mm. includes clothes. Right. So if you're, if you have been wearing modern fashion for the past 20 years, probably um, just below your hip bone is smaller around than just above your hip bone because you've been wearing belts and cinching clothes at that point forever. It has nothing to do with the way your body naturally is. That is the body you have created thanks to your clothes. Okay. Yeah, I've never done that because right. a, a, a belt below the hips is just so stupid. <laughs> I, just can't, yeah, I just can't. <laughs> I mean, if you, hang, if you hang anything heavy on that belt, your trousers are going to end up around your ankles. It's true. So anyway, so so in a in a properly medieval gamazon, there'd be a what a, a tightly fitted waist. Yep. Um, what about the shoulders? How would they work? Uh, again, time and place are. I mean, fashion changes every five years, even sure. in the medieval period. But right. Um, generally, generally, um, the shoulder seam is going to be cut just at the point where your shoulder muscle encounters your collarbone, right? Okay, yep. So clear up there. So then the, the structure of the body garment doesn't become affected by your shoulder raising, your muscles yep. engaging and, mm -hmm. and moving up. Um, Often they liked a the look of a of a broad chest mm -hmm. for for a good part of the period we're talking about, um, and uh, and that that went to ridiculous extremes um, for the highly fashionable, um, right. depending again on the time and place. So you well, know, when you say where the highly fashionable people now have their belts somewhere around their knees, some of them, because yeah. you know. If, if, if everyone is wearing the belt low, I'm going to wear it super low, baby. Right. Yeah. Same right. thing. Okay. Yes, yep. absolutely. They were, they were uh, people in a very different world than ours, but like basic motivations of, of society seem to be, you know, something that we can, we can yep. understand. Okay. So a well-fitted gambeson is a joy indeed. In fact, my arming jacket was tailor-made at vast expense and you know it's pretty much the only thing I have that actually fits yeah um, okay so 
What has been your absolute best moment in historical martial arts? If there's been like a crowning glory, what would that be? Mm. I know there have been loads, Jess, I know. Right. Just pick yeah, up. that's that's <laughs> that's a really, really hard question. I know. Um you know, one thing that, that occurred to me thinking about this was um, relatively recently, I guess uh, a year and a half ago now, um, I was invited to come out to the Patty Crean workshop, which was in Banff in Canada. Right. And it is uh, an event largely focused around um, stage combatants, stunt people, um, mm -hmm. actors, you know, that, yep. that, uh, genre of, of person. Um, yep. and, and so I got invited to come out and, and teach HEMA along with a, a few other, other women and, uh, had a really great time. Um, I, I was nervous accepting it cause it was stepping so far out of yeah. my, you know how it is. You just don't know. Yeah. 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 Um, it's a different environment. It, it was a different environment. I didn't know what to expect. I was super nervous about it. Um, and of course, you know, yeah, it's only to Canada, but it's still traveling international, which is always another layer of, yep. you know, you might not understand a culture. Or you might you might get something wrong in that way. Yep. Um, and uh, so anyway, so ended up accepting and, and going up and um, absolutely freaking loved it. I just had best time. It was by far the busiest seminar I've ever taught at. Mm -hmm. um, it was six days. And oh, I don't want to misspeak too badly. But I think I know I had at least one day off. But every other day I was teaching more than one class. Like it was just wow. and Relentless. and I did armor three, at least three of those days I armored right. up to teach the class. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, That's with a people job that, by itself. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Right. Um, yeah. and, and so I had a crash course, uh, the people, you had, you had to train a squire. <laughs> like, yeah, you squire. Had to train a squire. Right. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Fair. You know, because we had like what, 15 minute passing periods between classes. And, oh, and so I'd like run in and like, go guys. And like three people would be <laughs> tying all my armor <laughs> on me. Um, yeah. but I run to the class, you know, anyways. Uh, so I had a lovely time. I met all these people that just, you know, immediately I connected with and, and felt like I was having a great time at the end of the event. Um, all the teachers were called to sit, sit in the room, um, in, in their little, you know, whatever green room, teacher's lounge, whatever yeah. it was. And, and we were asked to, you know, think of a student who really embodied the event that stood out to us. Like, is yeah. there one person we could name that was okay. just freaking cool? Yeah. And, you know, and we did that. We sat around, we talked about it. Almost mm. everybody came up with the same name pretty quickly. Um, <clears throat> and uh, while we were doing that, unbeknownst to me at least, um, the, the head organizer had all the students collected and was asking the same question about the teachers. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So in the closing ceremonies, um, as it turned out, I was given that award. <clears throat> oh, wow. And oh, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, it was nuts. It was nuts. Because mm. um, this is a huge event. Nobody yeah. there knew me from Eve, you know. And it's and it's yeah, it's not 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 a not not exactly our usual environment no no and so you basically got adopted by the stage combat fraternity yeah sorority beg pardon <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and and so like i don't know if that was you know my best proudest moment in in all martial arts um but it was the most overwhelming moment i've had in a very long time and then, of course, you know, because it's actors, I immediately had to get up and give a speech. Oh, God. <laughs> I wasn't of allowed course. to just accept. No, no, no. You get on stage no, no. and you say some words. <laughs> oh, <fuck. laughs> oh, 
so uh, fabulous. Anyways, it was it was it was very much overwhelming. Uh, I went back to my room and cried for a while. So I I, I can imagine. Um, so what's been the worst moment? Oh. If you want to go there. Man. So many awful times. Oh, so God, why do we do times. this? Yeah. That time when I dropped my sword on my foot in front of a class of 200 people, whatever. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't think I would want to point to a specific incident, but what I would say is that the worst expression of this art mm-hmm. seems to come online and maybe even specifically on Facebook, right? Okay. Um, you know, to me, it's just like a, a general, I mean, well, that's why I left Facebook. There you go. Um, yeah, me too. But, yeah. But, uh, you know, I found that anytime I was at a place with people, even if some shady shit went down, mm-hmm. like it got handled. It, it got reasonably dealt with, you know, um, yep. if, if there were bad actors that needed to be removed from an event or whatever they were, um, mm-hmm. you know, but for some reason that same thing doesn't seem to happen online. Um, and so, you know, yeah, that's like the thing that sparks me the least joy is, right is the way people have had a tendency to get together um, in a digital space and be their worst selves. Right. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you and I both left Facebook for pretty much the same reasons. Um, yeah. Is, is there a space that's worth inhabiting online? Have you found well- it? <laughs> That's why I created my Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm dead serious. Like, I could. Sure. Well, it's nice. It's nice to have some income. That is sure. what allows me to go ride horses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, literally. Uh, yep. And during the pandemic, is keeping my school open, right? I haven't had to turn over sure. my space. So. Um, so you have a you have a permanent training space. I do. I do. Excellent. That's great, isn't it? It's the best thing. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a lovely a lovely little space here um, that's uh, that's exactly right. I'm I'm positioned in between an actual armor. Wow. A uh, like esoterica witchy neo pagan shop. Right. And a beer garden. Perfect. I just feel wow. like I feel like that strip was made for me to just insert myself into. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so, anyways, super wonderful um, to have that space. But yeah, so I created the Patreon not really um, with an eye towards creating income or or anything like that, but more with an eye towards creating a space where I can talk about the things I love. Um, mm-hmm. And other people who wanted that could be there. I mean, you can join my sure. Patreon for a dollar and get basically, and not everything, everything, mm. but basically everything, you know? Yeah. Obviously, yeah, the, the people is, that give me more get more, but, you know. Yeah, and, and the thing is, putting that, even a tiny little paywall across it keeps out the trolls. Yep. That's That's been my experience also. It's like, I get no trolls in the groups around my online courses none yeah um the trolls are always sort of going around hoovering up free stuff yeah and then bitching about it yeah interesting right i mean that's just it right um and i'm happy to give a lot of stuff away for free i don't care sure um but yeah damn so, so that's why I did that, um, was first and foremost to create a space where we might end up getting to have some meaningful conversation about mm-hmm. the thing that I spend 
um, too much attention on, maybe. Yep. If you ask my son, for sure, too much attention on. <laughs> sure. um, I have a great story about that. Uh, Tell it. Oh, okay. So my son, actually, my husband, son, and daughter, everyone in the family but me, are huge fans of video games. And okay. so they play a lot of video games together. And, mm -hmm. like, they'll all be on separate computers playing a game together, right? Yeah. Like, through the Wi-Fi yeah. or through the Internet or however it works. Yeah. You know, and I'm over in my corner, like, la, 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 trees and swords. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, with the pandemic and, and, like, kids' schools being canceled and, and not being able to really do the kinds of activities typical of a, of, of a school-free time that we'd be out doing, there has sure. been a ridiculous consumption of screens in my house. Yep. Um, yep. All of us. Like, nobody is <laughs> nobody's oh, sure. immune from this. Same over here. Yeah. So I, I you know, uh, kind of bullied Brian into going for a walk with me one night. And uh, we yep. went walking downtown. And I said, you know, I, you know, I'm really concerned about how much time and attention, like, these video games are taking of your brain and, like... There's this whole precept in, in my martial art that talks about Ling and Masa that you have to have, you have to recognize the extremes of a situation, but then you want to find the moderate place between those extremes. Um, you know, too much or too little mm. of anything is problematic and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Right? And so, like, we're having this whole Play-Doh conversation walking downtown. And, and, uh... And I said, so, you know, I, I really would like you to find some moderation on your video games. And he goes, well, you know, you could find some moderation, too. And I was like, oh, really? Tell me more about this. You know, what do you what do you think that I'm immoderate about? Swords. Fair point. Yeah. Fair point. Yeah. He totally got you there. He did. It was so great. It's just like the perfect like teenager moment. And so yeah. anyways, I was really proud of him for calling me to the carpet as well. I'm like, fair. Yeah. 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 I should take a break. <laughs> yeah. But swords are good. Swords, swords are, are healthy. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, okay. I have a, a couple of uh, prepared questions for you. Okay. Um, and one is, what is the best idea you've never acted on? Oh, well, you know, this, you know what? That goes back to um, when I was making clothes for, for right. HEMA people or, or yep. medieval martial artists. Mm -hmm. So I had this idea, Guy, yep. that, you know, like there's, there's kind of the joke now that, um, you know, black clothes and black plastic is, is the look. Yes. Of, of someone who takes this stuff seriously. It's the budget um, Darth Vader look, yeah. A, a little bit sometimes. It, it, yeah. Aesthetically, at least from a fashion point of view, that's exactly what's happening. So, yeah. <laughs> right? Pejorative or not, that's where it's at. Um, but so I had this idea, and this would have been probably 2013, mm -hmm. that we or I could start a whole line based around the aesthetics of um, the American football players of about 1915. So they okay. had these great, you, you, do you kind of know what I'm talking about? They yeah. had these great sweaters mm -hmm. that they wore. They're, they had leather padded pants that had a real super high waist. It would cinch yep. in. There was the pads yep. on the side, right? And it wasn't so far off from where people were already kind of leaning that I couldn't have sold it. I could have sold that look in a heartbeat. And then we yep. would have had creams and burgundies, beautiful greens. Like we could have yep. had club colors. We could have had like... And I, w I had drawings, I had, I had thought this all out and started patterning it all. And then I uh, decided I didn't want to be the CEO of a fashion company. And so I didn't pursue it. Because uh, I idea. couldn't have done it in-house. I would have had, I would no, have no, had no, to you... go overseas. I would have had to do all that kind of work. Sure. And, You'd have uh, actually had to and... start a company. Yeah, yeah. It would have gone from like my little in-home company to 
And it would have taken off. I, I have a thought. I just have a, this just occurred to me, okay? You have all these drawings, you have all these ideas, these designs, whatever. There are companies right now who are making historical fencing equipment and producing the black plastic Darth Vader look. Yeah. You could license your designs to them. I could. I could. You know, I did that with, with my wrestling jacket and fencing jacket. Okay. Um, you know, sold what you're describing, what, you know, what, what you're describing is, I, yeah, it, it sounds absolutely fantastic. It's a very good idea. It's not been acted on and I'm, I'm all about action me. So I think there you go. Good. Well, anybody out there that's already running a company, call me up. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Okay. Well, let's, let's see if, let's see if this podcast does it for you. Okay. Um, now there's also, you know, I've not been podcasting very long and right. I'm not very experienced at interviewing people. And so I thought I would just make sure that I don't put my foot in things too badly. And so I'm going to ask you straight out, what is the worst question you've ever been asked in an interview, but you can't say any one of mine? Oh, no, it wasn't any. No. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. All right. So, oh, God, it was so bad. So this was okay. um, at Swordfish. What year? Must have been 20. It might have. I don't know. 2015. I don't know. The second time I went to Swordfish. Right. Okay. Um, and there was a reporter there from Al Jazeera. And not what you know, expect at a historical martial arts event. Right? Yeah. But he was and there. He I, was doing a whole thing. He was cool. doing a whole okay. uh, story on on the revival of medieval martial arts, such as was cool. practiced at that event. And uh, he was super into it, super engaged. He came over to me cool. two or three or four times like, oh, I really want to interview. And I'm like, uh, yeah, that sounds great. He was a super nice dude, oh, uh, so I thought, and uh, and I was sick as a dog. I had pneumonia, but I, you know, whatever. Yeah. I had yeah. tickets to go to Sweden, and I wasn't not going to Sweden. So anyway, okay. so I'm at the event, and, and he's constantly chasing me down, and I was like, I have to teach my things I'm doing, and I have to do this that I'm doing, and then you got me. So he corners me in the end, and I sit down for this interview, and this has been a man who has been, up to that moment, seemingly very interested in my book, very interested in me as someone who knows something about this thing, you know, the whole yeah. thing. And so he camera rolls, he does his little intro, has me say my name, and then he goes, okay, so it must be really, really, really scary to be out there with all those big, giant, strong men. How does it make you feel to be overwhelmed and intimidated, right? Like, it was the most leading, awful, horrible, Fuck. demeaning, piece of shit, <laughs> trash question I've ever been given. <laughs> That and is I was appalling. completely not prepared because up until no. that moment, every inner, it's like he bait and switched me. Yeah, yeah. And he bait and switched me so hard that I was like, well, I mean, I guess, right? Like, I don't even remember what my response is. It's on YouTube. You can probably find so it. So you, you didn't just hit him? No, <laughs> I, was, I'm saying... I was so freaking shocked. <laughs> Right? That I just stumbled yeah, sure. out like some mumbly oh like word salad about, you know, yeah, everybody experiences the intensity of the moment in a fight. Like I don't know what I said. <laughs> okay. But but it was it was so weird, guy. It was so bizarre. Oh and my I, God. I went from like this guy is super cool, he seems really nice to like, mm, mm mm, you're the worst. I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah that that is terrible okay well okay uh, let's let's cheer ourselves up with a nice question 
Okay, this, this is this is a question I, I got asked uh, on my Ask Me Anything ages ago, and it generated some interesting things. So I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of send it to you. Okay, somebody gives you a million dollars to improve historical martial arts with. What do you do? Oh. Well, okay. I don't know if this would imp- Yeah, it would. I'll take that back. This was totally improve medieval martial arts. If I had a million dollars, I would set up a scholarship fund with it, whereby mm -hmm. people with non, I would say non-standard in the sense of um, bodies that modern people, like modern companies aren't making gear for, aren't making armor for, in right. particular, yep. Um, I would set up a freaking scholarship fund so that people could get goddamn armor. Wow. Honestly, because it is so prohibitively expensive unless you fit a specific niche of body. And that body is not necessarily, um, I'm not even necessarily just saying male. There are a lot of men who cannot get off the rack armor, right? Sure. Um, it's a very specific type of body that, that it gets made for, um, which is not the vast majority of us. And right. so what ends up happening then is if you have someone who's already, um, maybe a smaller build or a bigger build, um, mm -hmm. who really wants to do this thing, they're already somewhat sidelined, um, for yep. a variety of weird social reasons. And then they're required to like get custom armor. They can't just go buy an $80 breastplate like some people can. Yeah. That sucks, right? That sucks. Yep. And I've thought okay. about that a lot. And uh, Clearly. It, it just feels like adding insult to injury that, <laughs> that that's the way it is. So that's what I would do. I would make it so people could get armor. I could buy a lot of armor for a million bucks. Or you could get one really, really fancy suit of the stuff. Like one, it's just immaculate, just amazing with like gold etching and and extra plackets and spare helmets. And you could. I could. I could get no, exploding armor like Maximilian. <laughs> <laughs> but that feels like that feels like that's improving my day and yeah, not yeah, 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 medieval yeah, yeah, martial yeah. arts. That, <laughs> that 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 would that would be a, that would be a, a a, a poor use of the funds just to spend it on one suit of armor, I think. Yes, no, you're right. I, th I think your idea of, of armor for all or armor for people who can't buy it off the rack, I think that's a much, much better use of the money. Yeah. I think, I think it would be game-changing if we could get a lot, of, a lot of people who are trying to um, practice medieval martial arts into armor. And sure. make that accessible. Because armor, cha armor changes everything. It's just, yes, if you've never worn armor, it, it changes things in a, in, a, in a way that putting a, a, a motor on a bike changes things. Yeah. There are, there are related skills to cycling and riding a motorbike, but they are fundamentally different in core ways. And the same is true when you're wearing armor. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. been my experience anyway. And you know, the idea of teaching armored combat to students who are not wearing armor is kind of silly yeah yeah i mean really... there's a lot to you can be go learned, through the motions but... oh yeah yeah, yeah sure yeah. you can go through the motions you can do your fitness training and you can you can learn the techniques and the idea of it but yeah it's yeah you can't do armor combat without the armor got to agree right. and a million dollars on armor for all i think that would go a long way to getting a lot more people in armor yeah yeah okay. you know um... good answer because you know, as you know, I'm a I'm a huge believer in in the the holistic nature of the art. I think if you're only looking at one, if you're only looking at one piece of it, you're really missing out on what the lessons actually are about. You know. Sure. Yep. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. You you can't learn like Fiore's Art of Arms from one section of the book. Right. You have to have the whole book in your head and you have to understand how it all works. Even if, like in my case, I've walked through some of the plays on a horse and I've done all of the horseback plays on foot, 
Um, that doesn't make me in any way, you know, skilled at mounted combat, but at least I know what's going on in those plays and pictures, and I understand, I think, what Fury's trying to tell us to do there. But right. without that, if you've just looked at one section, it, yeah, it, you don't have an art, you have a bunch of tricks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and I, I'm pretty sure Fury works this way as well as, mm -hmm. as Lichenauer, but the, the lessons are, are, are referential in a circular manner. Sure. Such that, you know, if you, if you know how to zooken, for instance, which is like pulling, mm -hmm. right? Like retracting your point and then putting it back in on the other side. Um, you know, if you've done it with a longsword, cool, do it with a spear, do it on horse, yeah. do it mm -hmm. in armor, do it, you sure. know, um, and then you start to go, okay, I actually see what this lesson about pulling is about, right? Because sure. you start to see yeah. all the context where it applies. Um, yeah. Anyway, so if we have more people in armor, then we could have more input and help us make our understanding of that section so much better, which hence would enhance our understanding of all the things. Yeah, excellent. I think it's an excellent, excellent use of the money. If I had it, I'd give it to you. Yes, excellent. All right. <laughs> I'm, so glad, now I'm glad my pitch came off well. Now, <laughs> that, now we just need that trillionaire who, that, who has a million it, laying around that he doesn't care about, you know? Yeah, sure. Uh, okay, so... Just to, to finish up, um, I should remind everyone that uh, you can be found on patreon.com forward slash Jess Finley, J-E-S-S-F-I-N-L-E-Y. Um, and say thank you very much, Jess, for your time. It's been a lovely conversation. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I'm sure the readers have asked for a big pardon. I'm so used to writing stuff. Uh, the listeners, this is a podcast, um, the listeners will come away with all sorts of useful and interesting things. So thank you very much, Jess. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Guy. I really enjoyed being here. It's awesome. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed today's interview with Jess Fidley. Remember to go to guywindsor.net forward slash podcast for episode show notes and a free copy of my book, Sword Fighting, for writers, game designers, and martial artists. And please remember to subscribe to The Sword Guy wherever you get your podcasts from. And tune in next week when I'll be interviewing Fran Terminaliello. See you then.